0: what up everyone welcome to the ubuntu nutrition podcast episode number eight with guest evan lynch evan's a performance nutritionist and registered dietitian with over four years of experience working with high-level athletes he's an abundance of information pertaining to female specific nutrition that he shares with us today so please sit back relax and listen up another episode of the Ubuntu Nutrition Podcast. I believe this is number eight and today I have another excellent guest. His name is Evan Lynch and he is a performance nutritionist and also registered dietitian. Evan has been coaching high-level, namely endurance athletes for the past four years, but of course he also works with non-elite level athletes. He also has a specific area of expertise around female nutrition pertaining to you know menstrual disruptions um you know losing your regular period hormonal irregularities and with his clients he works with their doctor or consultants uh, to provide nutritional advice and programs to best get them back to normal in a sustainable and healthy way so I just want to clear the air real quick. Evan, yes, is a male, and we're going to speak here about female-specific nutrition. I consulted one of my female friends about this and how people would feel about my first guest talking about this area on the podcast being a male. And, you know, they, they said maybe because it's the first one, people might... They might think that you're you're going to be a male-only podcast, you're only going to be going looking for male guests. But I didn't actually go out looking for a guest on this area this early. I wanted this to be something I kind of gradually brought in. However, I've been receiving a lot of questions on it, and me and Evan connected through, it was right after the Shane Finn podcast, because Evan works with Shane Finn on some projects. And we connected, and I was like, wow, this fucker's too good not to get on right now. So I just want to clear the air that yes, in the future, I will be having female guests to talk about this area. But as you will see, Evan has an absolute wealth of knowledge around it. And in addition to that, he has a wealth of experience of working with an abundance of female athletes. So he is, in my opinion, as good as any to provide some recommendations for, you know, elite level athletes, which kind of takes up a good portion of the episode, but also just uh, non-athletes. So, you know, females that are suffering from any kind of menstrual disorders due to their nutrition imbalances or, I would say, suboptimal nutritional habits. So if you fit into this box and you're not an elite athlete, don't worry, there's plenty here for you as well. Especially towards the end of the podcast, uh, I ask Evan the quickfire questions I got on Instagram and he breaks down any recommendations to just, you know, layman advice. And so, also just real quick before we get started, to any males that were listening to this intro and they're like, ah, fuck that, I'm grand, listen to the first 10-15 minutes. It's, It's very interesting, Evan gives a lot of aha moments, well for me anyway. And I learned a lot from this. And so I think that if you have a friend or a partner or family member that's going through the same thing, this might be this might be very valuable to listen to so you can provide some bit of support. But yeah, anyway, I apologize for the static on this. Something's going on with my mic that I'm going to try and figure out. I might have to get a new one. But without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy. Evan Lynch, everybody. Hello everyone. Uh, This is the Ubuntu podcast with Evan Lynch who is a previous endurance runner for Ireland and he's now a registered dietitian and undergoing his master's in performance and sports nutrition. Yeah so will you just tell us a small bit about yourself and uh, just yeah uh,
1: yeah so I suppose my background was I was an international race walker and I got to represent Ireland a few times at the European and world level. I had hoped to be in the Rio Olympics, but severe tendinitis and uh, crepitus, and uh, it's pretty severe form of tendonitis in my left ankle joint just made that not possible. So I followed my other passion, which was nutrition. So when I finished studying in UL, where the food science and health, um, we would have shared in fourth year exercise and health it was actually that that lecture under dr brian carson is what actually sparked off oh my god this is what i need to do with my life 100 like i remember i remember the first lecture i was like this is class so when i finished there i went on to study dietetics in the university of malta and i was the first foreign student to do it and i had to learn Maltese to do it so it was lucky i don't know if you speak irish but i went to a guel the primary and secondary So I would have done French via Irish. So languages weren't really a problem to me. So I picked up Maltese pretty quick and got that done. So I'm a registered dietitian in Malta. I'm your only sports dietitian, which is weird enough because I'm sitting here in Clonmel recording this podcast with you. And then afterwards, we were due to stay in Malta and we found out we were having a baby. So my partner and I have a little six-month-old baby named Ellie, who is asleep right now. We moved back to Ireland last September. Since we moved back, I started my master's degree in sports nutrition with the University of Ulster, and things have just kind of gone crazy business wise. There's been a lot of projects happening, so I worked with the Cycling Ireland Youth Development Squad. It's got that's going to be an ongoing thing. I just started that this year. I ramped up the work I do with Athletics Ireland, so I do any sports nutrition talks that have to be done, any workshops. I got through an Instagram takeover as well for them, which was pretty cool actually. Um, so I, I suppose its not an official title—but I would be, you know, they, they would use me as a sports nutritionist, and I write for their Irish Runner magazine as well. Um again, a recent thing—the most recent thing—is uh, her So we we've chatted a bit about this beforehand, but in my experience working with professional athletes Olympic athletes, many of whom are female, a couple of things keep popping up. Female athlete triad, Reds, stress fractures, menorrhia, iron deficiency anemia, and gen- then just a the general void of a very poor food relationship. So I came together with Shane, who was on one of the podcast episodes. Uh, it was a number four, yeah, number four. Yeah. Was Shane? Was it
0: number five? I think.
1: So number well, it, one of the po- one of the podcast episodes anyway. Shit, he was on it before me, so yeah. uh, well, go back and listen to that if you haven't already. Um so I do I do a lot of work with Shane and we put together her fuel and basically what we want it is to kind of be preventative and we want to get it out to as many female athletes as we possibly can, to NGOs, government organizations, just really spread it. Um and if someone else sees the idea, great. If someone else wants to try and copy it, great. Because if if the idea that okay, here's a good way that we can disseminate this information, if that spreads. Hopefully the incidence of these things will drop. And that's kind of ultimately what it's all about. It's just about not having these things happen in the first place. Because I know at the moment women in sport is a big initiative and the dropout rates are huge. And there's a lot of reasons for it. Um, so I would like to make a bit of a dent in that. So that's that's currently taking up a lot of my time. There are a few other things going on in the background, but we'll see. You'll see them in due course.
0: So that's Class. so just two quick questions um, do you, would you still work with yes. clients back in Malta so remotely I do ah,
1: yeah okay. yeah I do everything well not everything 99% of work I do is remote so most it'd be fair to say that most people don't live in Clonmouth <laughs> just as a general uh, so I'd have clients over Europe UK a few in Malta a few in the States one in Korea actually randomly enough um, but yes, I have a few in Malta. I worked with a professional soccer player. He's Maltese. Um, he's not premier league or anything, but, uh, yeah, I, do, I, I have ties still there. So that's, that's pretty interesting.
0: That's class. Yes, um, so. and then you mentioned fuel which I've taken a look at and it, it's unbelievable, but you want to just describe what yeah. it actually is. Um, just a quick synopsis. for yeah, sure.
1: So basically the, the things we ran with were, okay let's say let's pretend I'm a female athlete and I'm not sure about how to manage my diet I don't know what macros are what energy intake means I maybe I'm not sure if my menstrual cycle should have an effect on my nutrition her field was basically put together to educate and empower a female athletes to nail every possible aspect of their diet that they could possibly think of even things they mightn't think of so there's a lot of female specifics in there. So there's a, there's a module on menstrual menstrual nutrition, how to change around your menstrual cycle. And Shane has put in training guidelines for that. Uh, we have sections for RED-S, poor food relationships, um, amenorrhea, contraceptive pill usage. This is one that doesn't get a lot of press and it's something that's so prevalent that it's almost normalized to a contraceptive pill. It has huge ramifications for how much iron you need on a daily basis, and your bone mineral density. So it's actually really important. Um, to be, basically, I suppose there's twenty thousand words in it, and about eleven hours of video, and we're adding to it all the time. So it simply post every question you could possibly have is answered in this. So that's nice. that's probably the simplest well, way. Yeah, nice.
0: class. And you're getting good feedback on it so far. It's really it's really helping inform athletes
1: yeah yeah the feedback like it's a four-week course so that's kind of how we're suggesting people get through it. there's 30 lessons and we only launched it really two weeks ago so we've had a few people who've gone through it very quick and they've said this is this is this is game changing like you know the level of info and this the depth that goes into the details things that they wouldn't have even thought of um so yes the feedback so far has been great in about two three weeks we're expecting our first kind of bunch of of people who went and did it to give us some feedback and we already have kind of in the pipeline Herfield 2.0 just to be honest because of the sheer size of the topics and it was it was me who wrote the course exclusively i just didn't get a chance to do pregnancy breastfeeding or plant-based athletes so that's going to be the, the three big additions to Herfield 2.0 but even as i say that in the back of my head i'm like that's at least a month of work of just solid research and then trying to like condense it and make it tangible. So yeah, it's a nice, it's a nice project to be involved with, you know, I think it's going to help a lot of people if we can get it out there and do it right. And it's, it's going, it's going really well so far.
0: Class, class. And so I suppose that's a great segue into, I suppose the first of our questions, but I just quickly wanted to go back and I was just chatting to a friend, a female friend. And I had mentioned that I was having you on the podcast to speak about, you know, yeah. female-specific nutrition um, with respect mm-hmm. to, you know, low energy availability and menstrual-specific around the menstruation period. And she just said, yeah. how could you have a male on to speak about that? And I was just wondering, is that a question that you get or is there any apprehension when you actually work with clients, uh, you being a male? That's
1: interesting. Not, ac- there actually hasn't. Yeah,
0: um, okay.
1: I think... What a, what a lot of people, what a lot of lads were, and maybe it's kind of shifting a bit. is immature, so they might make jokes about it, or they mightn't be mature enough to talk about it, or they might be able to talk about it. That's that's a big part of it. Um, no, I haven't had any any apprehension or any issue. Like I'm very respectful. Like if, if I have clients, for example, who suffer from PMS, which can leave them with debilitating pain and can even affect how they think. It's so bad. I can't pretend I understand what that feels like. I'm not going to sit there and be like, I, under, I know exactly what it's like to have menses every month and have it completely ruin my energy levels and ability to train. I have no idea. Yeah. I have, however, researched it. I know from a food point of view exactly what's required. In the same as working with a diabetic. I, I'm not diabetic, so I can't really, you know, it's um, a great point. If you're a professional, respectful and well-read of what you're doing you know that's that's kind of all you can do um like I think you know a lot of people will might look at me as an example you know I'm, I'm a nutritionist and I'm on Instagram but I'm not a bodybuilder so people might come to me because I don't look like a bodybuilder and it's not necessarily you know image and what you are doesn't necessarily dictate what you know I'm worrying that very awkwardly but I think do you know what I'm trying to say yeah
0: yeah absolutely absolutely yeah yeah no you're 100% right and I mean if we if we adopted that logic where unless you're experiencing something you can't speak to it I mean nobody would be able to yeah. help anyone just as you say with the diabetic with the diabetic example um, and it's just interesting 100%. I was just listening to a lecture by uh, you probably listened to a lot of her Kirsty at sale who is yes. she's yeah yes. she's big in this area she's great she's irish as well and she was just uh, she got a question about it what is the communication like with clients and she just said as long as you're comfortable and you just ask it straight out rather than asking it awkwardly and trying to go around you know kind yeah. of uh, yeah. yeah just trying to go around the long way just ask it straight out and be comfortable with it and show that show the client that you're comfortable with it they give that back to yeah, you
1: 100 I think um you know you probably know this yourself from working with people but diet is already very personal anyway you know why people, even why people come to work with you in the first place and if you're far enough into a coaching relationship where you can ask them you know when's the last time you had your period or how how are you feeling this week or are you tracking your cycle if you're not there at that stage you're not going to ask them now I I'm pretty quick out of the gate, but, you know, I do everything I can to establish trust and and a good relationship ASAP. So it's never, it's never been a problem. I wouldn't be necessarily too awkward either. So, you know, that probably helps.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. Um, okay. So this is definitely a new and emerging area, would you say tailoring nutrition towards, I suppose, around the menstrual cycle and just yeah. looking specifically at females especially when you're looking at elite sport would you say it's a new and emerging area
1: definitely there's not um there's not a massive amount of evidence for lots of parts of this uh, like even like a good example i was talking to uh, a ul researcher actually earlier the, the day we both know her i won't, I won't name her because, yeah you know, yeah um, she was even saying like with the contraceptive pill usage and the effect it has on bone mineral density there's no con- coherent guidelines on whether or not calcium supplementation or a high intake is recommended they just haven't studied it it's a good idea in theory but who knows yeah. you know yeah. so there's there is gap for you know you might be surprised that they would be there but yeah it does it does seem to be new but like you'll find research on like menstrual dysfunction and like uh, low calorie intake back in the 1980s and 1990s i think it's generally just people have been like it's almost been taboo for a while to talk about these things um so I, i don't know like you know it's the 21st century um i saw in my experience working with people that when you bring up any of these things people are almost surprised they go to a nutritionist or a dietitian and they're being asked about their menstrual cycle it catches them off guard i'm like well it's actually very relevant as no one ever asked you this before and it's they've never been asked so maybe not new but maybe just not looked at I think would be a good way to kind of.
0: yeah yeah and actually just that you say that it's very funny because when I posted the story about having you on and having you know an expert in this area on I got a lot of like you know fire symbols and thumbs up from a lot of females that follow me So what that told me, and I actually get some questions. Yeah. So what that told me was, just as you said, people are like, oh, so this is, it's not just me experiencing this, you know, like other people are having difficulties around this this time every month, you know? Yeah.
1: hundred percent. Yeah. hundred
0: percent. All right. Yeah. So,
1: well, I dive through a couple of of things that just quick fire things that are affected by men's recycle, and then you can ask me to elaborate on them if you want. Yeah, that might be yeah, perfect. An interesting so throughout the course of a menstrual cycle obviously there's a couple of things going on Uh your estrogen and progesterone hormones are the biggest things that are fluxing there so off the bat if people are trying to lose weight and they think this is going to be linear not the case high estrogen and progesterone levels will actually cause water retention so you should be your lightest at menses and it's been researched and it's seen in research that people will gain up to five kilos during their menstrual cycle of pure water retention. You will be at your heaviest at ovulation when both of those hormones are at their collective peak and you should slowly start to drop down again. So if you're trying to factor that into someone's weight loss journey and they say, I randomly gained weight here and I don't understand why. If they're tracking their cycle and they're exactly midpoint, perfect explanation. This is why this is happening. Another thing that will influence nutrition protocols in the follicular phase of a menstrual cycle, so the second half leading into menses, a female has a higher metabolic rate and higher metabolic demands because they're building a uterus that, you know, that's like in the space of two or three weeks, like building a new bicep muscle, it's huge metabolic requirements. So their protein turnover is much, much higher. So if you have um, if you have people who are skipping meals or they're not paying attention to their protein intake, they're gonna suffer. The recovery really has to be paid attention to in this aspect as well. And doing things like low-carb approaches or fasted training, it's gonna have a much more detrimental effect on performance, recovery, and subsequent training sessions if it's in that follicular phase. So again, another reason why it's very, very important to track. I've seen just anecdotally, some people will they'll start to be a little bit a little bit more negative, a little bit um how would, how would I say this? Things aren't going as well as they could when it's leading up to menses, so for the few days beforehand. So if you have PMS or PMS like symptoms, now there's there's a difference between having PMS and having some cramping and being a little bit tired leading up to um leading up to menses There's actually clinical criteria there. Off the top of my head, I don't know. But to be honest, as a dietitian, the diagnostic criteria are outside of my remit. People come to me with the diagnosis, and I'm like, okay, this is what the crack is. Here's the food stuff. Yeah. Um, so that, that, that unto itself, if you have someone who has low magnesium intakes, a magnesium supplement, if they're deficient, will really help with PMS-like symptoms or making sure they have adequate folate in their diet. So if you have a client who every four or five weeks, depending on how long their cycle is, they get like really bad cramps. They can't focus. Nothing is going well. And their, their diet might go haywire. might not be any harm to look into it. What's your folate intake like? What's your magnesium intake like? Are they adequate? Let's make them adequate and see if it helps. It has been shown to improve symptoms in, in some people. Um, these, these are just off the top of my head now. Yeah, but yeah. There are many a real interesting one and you'll appreciate this from your from your sports science background if you have an endurance athlete and they're you know marathon half marathon or a race walker or cyclist your water turnover in the follicular phase is higher so you're much more likely to develop exercise-induced hyponatremia in the follicular phase and your core temperature is actually higher as well in this in this phase it's um it's raised by about a quarter of a degree which is what happens when you're 1% dehydrated. So for every percentage dehydration, core temperature rises a quarter of a degree. So in that follicular phase again, if it's hot and these ladies aren't paying attention to getting in like the, the isotonic fluids or even hypertonic fluids, training is just not going to go as well as it could. So, you know, th- that's just a few quick fire, quick fire things. And that's just menstrual specific and timing alone. There's, th- this is so big. Like when I started looking into this few months back, like really deep dive into it, there's so many rabbit holes you can go down. Like it's, it's just a labyrinth of things that just need to be known basically. Yeah. So that, you know, that, I think that's a good place to start.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it just kind of echoes the importance of realizing that if you are experiencing any difficulties with respect to energy or energy levels or anything like that, just as you mentioned, it's completely normal and to overlook it is actually abnormal. But people might think yeah. the actual opposite of that, you know, that this it's weird that I'm getting this. I haven't heard anyone else. But that might come back to the fact that it was, I suppose, taboo, you know, to, to be experienced or to be even talking about this. Um, yeah. Great. Great. That was a great run through. Great run through. Um, so could you explain amen- the idea of amenorrhea and how common it actually is? Maybe first amongst, let say, like endurance athletes, because that's your background. Um, And then maybe amongst the general public, because I've actually had people reach out to me that have experienced it, that wouldn't necessarily be in the elite uh, domain.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So the specific um, statistics on it, I actually don't know off the top of my head. I do know it's much more common in sporting people. And the most common cohort are kind of your college aged endurance athlete. That's the most likely person to get it or someone in a combat sport where literally you don't you don't get to do the thing you train for unless you weigh a certain amount for mm-hmm. obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. That causes pathological eating. Um, so amenorrhea basically there's, there's a few different kinds. Primary amenorrhea it's it's not necessarily anything to do with your diet. It's more of a reproductive or endocrine dysfunction. If you haven't had your period by the age of sixteen, so that's that's something more so for a gynecologist or an endocrinologist will be looking at, not a dietitian or a sports nutritionist um when you're looking at athletes secondary or functional hypothalamic amenorrhea is when you lose your menstrual cycle for 3 months or or more consecutively after it starts. so post is the term to use menarche is when you first got your period so if you've had a regular period and you lose it for 3 or more months that's considered amenorrhea and the reason it's more common in athletes in general population is that what will happen if, there's two scenarios, severe psychological stress or massive, massive energy deficiency. And they they will both cause um, alterations to how your pituitary hypothalamic axis works, so that HPA axis, and that will in turn influence how gonadotropin-releasing hormone works. So basically, how it starts, you have low energy intake, and just from an evolutionary point of view, we'll step back it's metabolically very challenging and very demanding to make a uterus and to have a child, lots of energy. So it makes sense that if you don't have a lot of energy coming in or there's a big deficit, your body's just not going to give you the option of doing that. It's not going to work out too well. And then from a psychological point of view, so high stress can cause higher cortisol levels and that can cause this dysfunction as well. Bodies are very clever. If you're in a very stressful period of your life, after something like very wrong happening, your body just seems to not think having a child is a good idea. So it just affects your menstrual function. Really, you know, that's a gross oversimplification.
0: Yeah. No. no yeah, yeah. It,
1: it's more common in endurance athletes because of their calorie outputs, they're absolutely massive. So if you're looking at being a certain weight or looking like an athlete. And you're trying to cut calories here and there, and you're not factoring in like I have some some ladies and lads who are burning five thousand, six thousand calories a day. Very easy to get into a deficit there. It doesn't take that long. So if you have clients who are endurance athletes and maybe they're trying to lose weight and they're tracking, if their menstrual cycle starts to get longer, and if it gets longer than thirty five days, you're gone into what's called oligomenorrhea. That's a that's a fairly good sign of going from normal to there they're kind of on a continuum building towards the amenorrhea, just kind of a matter of time. That's a good time to step in and say, okay, there's something not good happening here. Let's look at how you're feeling on a day-to-day basis. How's your training going? What's your exercise tolerance like? What are your general stress levels like? Can we do a blood test? Please talk to your doctor. Those things at that time might actually prevent the progression into secondary amenorrhea or the, the hypothalamus amenorrhea and that you know that just takes a little bit of paying attention and being able to talk about the topic and even to be honest a bit of knowledge about it i just had a client recently who sent me on her menstrual data and her cycle has gone to 45 days for the first time ever she's, she's a relatively new client um i don't let that stuff happen on my watch so blood tests are happening calories have gone up she already feels a bit better training has gone you know, it's gone back to kind where it should be in a very quick space of time. Um, so I know I know the question was just, can you explain what amenorrhea uh, is? Uh, I kind great. of went a bit off track. But um, yeah, that's that's basically what it is, loss of menstrual cycle when it shouldn't be happening.
0: Yeah. And so I suppose even if relating it to, I I would have, not a lot, Jesus, I don't have a lot of listeners overall, but some listeners would not be in that elite domain or endurance they wouldn't be endurance athletes but they may have experienced this and i suppose first to first to caveat it with saying first you you'd need to rule out everything else you know uh make sure it's you know it's not a hormonal uh dysregulation or anything like that an issue but if you're missing periods regularly or like you say three consecutive ones in a 12 month period it might and you might look at yourself and this is one of the really surprising things to me about uh this idea of low energy availability you you might think, oh, I'm fine because I'm not skinny or really skinny or thin or anything. But you can actually be in energy balance and keep your same weight and still be in low energy availability. Yes. Yeah, which yeah, is, yeah. I think that's very yeah. interesting. So I don't know if, you, if you'd if be able to kind of just touch on that a small bit.
1: So well, I think what you're talking about there is... Um during the day if you skip meals or you're like for some reason eat at just each end of the day you can give yourself a bit of uh lea midday if you train in the middle yep. of the day your glycogen is gone your blood sugar is low you're tapping into fat stores it's you're making it much harder than it needs to be That that can have an effect and just kind of go off that point a little bit you mentioned you know if you're not super thin or super skinny you might play it down. In clinical settings, sarcopenic obesity is one of the big things that causes problems and raises the mortality risk in hospital patients. So doctors would tend to assume that if a patient is overweight, that if their status deteriorates or if they lose weight, that that's a good thing. Clinically, if they lose weight, their BMI will kind of go into a healthier range. They don't take into account the muscle losses. Um, And that's indicative of a wider cultural outlook on this. I am not surprised it happens to Jane Pop, because the conversations I have on a daily basis or that I overhear. For example, the other day I was in a queue with my mask on in Costa and went to get coffee. I heard two two ladies talking. I've been very good today. I didn't have breakfast. I only had salad for dinner. And I only had, like I had a protein bar. I was up the calories in my head. And I was like, jeez, that's... 400 500 calories like and she ordered a skinny latte with like candor i'm like okay that's you're you're assigning morality to that that's a good thing you're delighted you have gone on a incredibly low energy diet and i know one of your recent podcasts is about the metabolic compensation and like it's just not very hearable too so it's i'm not surprised that people run into problems here you know did the general population subscribe to this body image type that I'll be happy or people will like me more if I look like this? And if, if that's the way you're looking at it, there's fucking, you know, there's a lot on the line there. You know, that's a, that's a lot. That's a lot to play for your, your self-worth and social validation. So I'm not surprised people do these very big efforts misguided as they may be because I just, I had a client there before we before we chatted and she was talking about how our friends they might say things like oh i can't have bread if i'm trying to be healthy it's not because they're they're trying to be fringe nutrition experts they're misguided they're, they're good intentions but they're just completely misguided um and it can have pretty damaging effects you know
0: yeah yeah you said something very good off air that i'm definitely going to steal in the future you said the trade-in the detrimental impact oh, yeah. of cutting your weight for that 0.1 or 0.2 kg loss of weight. Uh,
1: yeah.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I would love just,
1: to, I would love to sit down with um, a sports physiologist someday and just be like, can you tell me exactly what the VO2 max improvement would be for a keto weight loss? I never worked it out, but I do know it wouldn't be worth it. It still wouldn't be worth it for most people, you know? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, like how much of that is water weight, temporary water weight. That's not gonna that's not gonna have a major impact on how long you can run for, you know. Great class. Um okay so I suppose we'll move into so we've we've outlined the problems and what I love to do in the podcast is, you know, not just harbor on the negatives to I suppose we'll move to some recommendations and some positives. Um no but it is it's such an important area. So what would be some I suppose we'll look at Before we go to food specific, just overarching recommendations that you generally give to clients that are suffering from any of these kind of problems around their period and menses relating to nutrition.
1: Mm -hmm. So even though the, um, what would you call it, that um, they worked out energy intake thresholds, but you know, when those LEA studies found that if your energy availability is below 30 calories per kg of fat-free mass. That you're at risk. There is some questions as to those those brackets. So I tend to try and push people towards the higher end of 45 calories per kilogram of fat-free mass plus whatever you're burning in exercise. So that's that's kind of the minimum we go for. And if you can get people to that stage, there's a good chance they'll probably be okay. Then depending on their activity level, making sure their carbohydrate intake is in line. So what I do, and again it's mostly endurance athletes. I, on a, I work off what's called a rest day template. So these are the guidelines if you do no training. So I'll try and aim for four or five grams of carbs per kg of body weight. And I add in a gram and a half per hour of exercise and per kilogram of body weight. And that's that's a fairly good proxy to those um, IWF consensus guidelines by Louise Burke there that were released 2019, I think. Uh, it does tend to, it's just easier for people to remember than telling them, okay, on this day, your nine grams on this day, it's whatever. You, when, you, when you do it in terms of this is what your rest day looks like, here's what an hour's training. For every hour of training, you need to do this. It's just much easier for them That's to, easier. I was going to say consume, but they literally do consume. It. You know, it's, it's an easier package to, to conceptualize. Yeah. Um, then if it's someone with amenorrhea, it is recommended that they hit 1,500 milligrams of calcium per day and I'll, I'll probably recommend a vitamin D supplement as well, just to help either, there, there's a little bit of research and I, I chatted to a lady who's actually studied it. You can get a little bit of bone rebuilding and you can prevent further bone deterioration. So that that high calcium and vitamin D intake will definitely help. It might even improve the bone mineral density. So that's, that's unlikely. You'll probably just stop it getting worse. Um, so that's, that's one actually clinically recommended thing to do. Otherwise then it's just make sure it's an overall healthy balanced diet. CBT is actually recommended. Now I'm not qualified to do CBT. So I'll, I'll suggest that, okay, maybe chat to a health psychologist, a counselor, YouTube it, get the Headspace app. Because if if you're looking again, I had mentioned that it's, um, stress is a huge factor here so if you have someone who's very very stressed they lost their job a family member that can actually trigger trigger something like this so it would be stupid for me to just you know pretend I'm a hammer and see the world as nails and that the, the solution to everything is diet you have to look at okay stress management is probably an aspect of this and just anecdotally as well some of my clients who have had immunorrhea they've been pretty Anxious or concerned, or they've like had just hectic life schedules and their nutritional requirements might be perfectly met. And it is actually cited in research that nutritional interventions won't always work. Sometimes it's just stress. Um, so that that would kind of be the bulk of it. Um, yeah, you just make sure everything, all their needs are met, in particular, those uh, energy availability guidelines, carbohydrates, CBT recommendations, and just try and fix their food relationship if it's a little bit shaky
0: yeah yeah um that's great that's great and then so if we're looking at more some if we're looking at a female who has recently just started long distance running and they don't have they're not working with anyone closely so they don't really know how to calculate their lean body mass to calculate energy availability or th- those points to meet yep. i remember talking to shane recently and he just i was like what's your number one recommendation for long distance athletes he said it's just to eat more so but what's what's one way that someone who has doesn't have a clue they don't they don't right now have the means of working with someone professionally such as yourself how would they calculate what they need and how would they adjust it for days that they're training just simply very basic
1: so if it's if an endurance athlete most of the training is steady state so you might be somewhere around six or seven minutes you can actually work out a calorie cost there. So let's let's pretend I'm fifty kilos, because that's an easy number to multiply. I'm about eight kilos, but anyway, for the sake of the example, if you multiply your weight in kilos by fifty, or not by fifty, by forty, that's your overall daily calorie intake. You have to remember it's different from those um, energy availability guidelines because you're, we're not accounting for fat mass in those. So multiply your weight by forty, and if you're an endurance athlete, your weight by maybe six for every hour of exercise you do. That'd be a good place to start with your calories, and if you can try and fill those calories, great. That's that's probably what I would do. Um, but to be honest, that requires a prerequisite of someone being proficient in my fitness paddle and having a weighing scale. And you'd be surprised how many people just don't do that. If it was me, it, like I don't track anything. I'm not really into it. You do. I. I would just, I would just go for a plate well guide. So at breakfast, make sure there's a carbohydrate portion, about the size of your fist. Um, make sure there's a bit of fiber there. Inject a bit of color. So something I will say to my clients, anecdotally, is trying to eat the rainbow, and you're aiming for about eight to ten portions of fruit and veg day. That'll subconsciously have them looking for a variety in their diet. Um, that's a pretty handy way to do it. Or I I might give them kind of goals to hit. So you need to have this many portions from these types of foods. So there might be like potatoes, rice, pasta. Um, Yeah, that's kind of how I do it. It's it's hard enough to answer because it can be be individual. I suppose the handiest way, three main meals, two or three snacks, do this before and after training. So make sure there's always carbs, Focus on protein, focus on fiber, eat the rainbow. That's the easiest thing to do. Yeah. If you do that, you're most of the way there, to yeah. be honest.
0: Yeah, yeah. And if you're if you're advancing into the stages where you need to get more specific, you're going to have help doing that most of the time.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. If it's a female specifically taken off running, make sure your intake is adequate. So if you're not opposed to dairy, Three solid sources of dairy a day would be a good idea, or tofu if you're plant-based. Tofu actually has more calcium than dairy, by the way. Um, a lot of people are surprised by that. Other thing, if you're taking a contraceptive pill, your iron requirements are around 11 to 12 milligrams a day. If you are not taking the contraceptive pill and you're premenopausal your iron requirements are in the high teens so they could be up as 18 milligrams a day that's important to know if you're a runner let's say you're a runner you're doing big miles you're probably a heel striker um, landing on your heel you cause something called foot strike hemolysis which damages red blood cells so there's that you have a regular menstrual cycle you're losing milligrams of iron there you also lose two milligrams of iron a day in your sweat which is why endurance athletes, again, of reproductive age, they're most likely bracket to have anemia. So really pay attention to that. The best place to get it is liver. Now, I have very few clients who are willing to eat liver, so you have to kind of compromise and get them to go for red meat once or twice a week if they're fans. The other kind of handy staple ways that I get people to get their iron in is bran flakes. A bowl of bran flakes gives you 10 milligrams of iron, which is pretty class. You pick some up in oats, nuts, seeds, your green veg, and some fortified, like breakfast bars, like a Belvita breakfast cake, would have a good chunk of iron in the two. Um, I would recommend them to get a blood test as well. So, to see if a supplement is required or not, and to ask the doctor to check their vitamin D status, because that will impact massively on their ability to recover their overall immune function so that's that's what i would do for a beginner it's just someone starting just a bit of an mot and make sure there's nothing awry. gotcha
0: gotcha and i suppose just a really important point there is that if you're vegan or plant-based you probably have to oh, yeah. overshoot those marks because there's two types of iron your heme and your non-heme so
1: heme iron so for me source is mainly 20 to 40 percent that's it from plant-based Two to twenty percent. Fuck. So they recommend that for plant-based athletes, it's something like you. You need two and a half times more iron than your counterparts. So if you're, let's take someone on a contraceptive pill, they're vegan, they're a runner. Instead of the eleven or twelve mgs that uh, omnivorous dietary person might need, they will need something like thirty. 31, 32 milligrams a day. That's a lot of flakes, man. That's, that's a lot of flakes. <laughs> most likely, those people will need a supplement. Yeah. And most likely, those people will need to go to a doctor. Because if someone comes to me and you know, they ask me, should I have an iron supplement? I can't say yes until I see blood work. It's not actually recommended to give someone an iron supplement unless they have, in front of it, you, you can see it, iron yes. deficiency or anemia yeah so that's important you don't take supplements prophylactically that's not a good idea i see a lot of people doing that they think taking multivitamins is class now i look on the back of it and it's like has 500 of your niacin daily requirement like you know getting lots of niacin is linked with alzheimer's pathology in old age or having this much vitamin c could give you diarrhea and they're like oh i just thought more was better like no mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> that's just no. not the case Especially if you have a balanced diet. And Jesus, in my experience, the people who are taking the multivitamins are those who are actually eating well. You know, it's the people who yeah. don't eat well, they don't care about the vitamins either, you know? 100%.
1: 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the only really common deficiencies would be really your uh, iron and your vitamin D. Everything else is pretty rare. Like people, love, people love supplementing with magnesium because they think it helps cramps, it doesn't. The research is pretty clear on that, that magnesium probably not doing it for you. And magnesium deficiency is stupidly rare. Stupidly rare. So you get yeah. a lot of people just kind of running on a placebo effect. You can, you know, call in the bar or like supplement shops. Their stocks rise through the roof as a result. Yeah. And again, uh, I have this thing where I'm not really into disempowering narratives. And I think, if you tell people as an authority or people might see URI as an authority, if you're coming to us as for coaching, they'll take what we say seriously. So if we sell them the idea that you need to rely on supplements, they then think that their diet could never be adequate enough to manage a sustainable lifestyle, you know? Yep. I just, yep. I don't like, I don't like favourite. It gives off personally as useful yeah. as they can be in some scenarios i think
0: it's, if you can do it yourself with food then do that yeah yeah uh excellent excellent all right so i suppose i just have a quick couple of rapid fire questions for you and these i think are if these are kind of outside your realm uh because they're quite gen pop uh just just feel free to say so um okay but yeah yeah i'll fire them off so so f- no i just wrote these as they are so <laughs> foods to eat that you would recommend around your period to boost your energy levels? So instead of a um, food-based approach.
1: So carbs, lots of carbs around seas. Around so spuds, rice, pasta, couscous, you know what? A bit of ice cream. doesn't do any harm in moderation. Juices, fruits, Haribo jetties uh, or Cocoa Pops are my personal favorites for after training. Those are all fair game lace into them
0: nice nice and just a bit about I would, i'm just wondering myself actually because it was a very interesting point you said about the protein and that it's largely overlooked yeah. especially during that period would you recommend kind of monitoring that and making sure you're getting a nice uh, fistful at each meal
1: yeah 100 percent. so the recommendation minimum for an athletic female is 1.6 grams per kg of body weight and just off the top of my head a standard or an average fillet of like chicken or turkey or fish, it works out that it's like 30 grams. It might be more in some cases, but that's around 30 grams. Um, a standard serving of dairy is, is around 15 grams. If you have a glass of milk, um, some cheese, uh, yogurt, you get 15 grams of protein there. An egg has seven, a scoop of whey has 20. Then do you know what's actually a really surprising high protein source is a bagel, 12 grams in a bagel.
0: Is it? Yeah. Wow.
1: Yeah, yeah they They're brilliant. Bagels, bran flakes, are pretty fast. Anything whole grain will have a decent protein amount. And I suppose what I look for protein per calorie is something I'm pretty mm. crazy about. Yeah. I like to use peanut butter as a good protein source. I'm like, well, you know, <laughs> steady on mate. <laughs> that was uh, a big
0: thing in the Game Changers. They were trying to say just, uh, just oh, some peanut butter for your meat and it's like, all right, yeah. Come back to me there after you're having yeah. 10 scoops of peanut butter instead of that chicken fillet. Yeah. Oh, don't
1: get me started. Man. I actually wrote an article on Game Changers. Did you? Um, funny enough. Yeah, I did. It's way back in my blog somewhere. Oh, you'll have to send that. All, all right. I that's all. I'll link, I'll link it onto you. What they did was clever. They replaced the word carbohydrate with plant. And all these guys who started eating more carbohydrates so were like, man, when I start eating more carbohydrates i just felt like i had so much more energy training went way better obviously like you know what i mean (laughs) yeah Yeah, yeah. it it was interesting no you've obviously watched the documentary
0: i didn't i did not even pay at the time the because i knew i'd be getting a lot of i did get a lot of questions on it and i knew i'd come in biased if i did so i said i'm not even going to watch it i just i didn't give it to
1: there's one scene in it where they did this test they call it the tube test where they show guys how thick their blood looked after they ate certain meals and basically what they did was they gave guys i think it would have been like a plant-based sandwich in the morning a few hours later they gave them like this meat-based sandwich and they took blood samples after and they showed them to them later and the blood sample they took after I don't know, I think it was the meteor sandwich, whatever it worked out. It turns out that the thickness or the cloudiness in your blood, it's called chylomicrons. So little droplets of fat that happen naturally fine, from absorption. Yeah. And it would have actually been, it's a delayed thing. So they were actually showing inadvertently, okay, this healthier plant-based fat sandwich and actually caused the higher micron remnant amount in the blood. So, like, it was just a great example of the lads who were shooting the documentary, they hadn't clue what they were at, you know? I had I a had written out more. I'll send you the article. I'll, Ooh, do, cool do, do. I'll, uh, I'll give it
0: a share as well because I've actually gotten a lot of people asking about that. Actually, still, I get, I get a question every yeah. now and then. Like, I had a, I, some people reach out to me and say, I've been eating plant-based for the last five days since I watched the documentary. Yeah, and it's like, that's, I, that's exactly what documentaries aren't supposed to do. Scare or fear-monger people yeah. into doing something, you know? Yeah. That's when the danger yeah. kind of comes up i think
1: yeah i think i had something like 20 of my 20 of my clients which particularly annoyed me because i thought i was doing a good i doing a good job of being like okay look the things we're doing are the things that are true everything else is probably bollocks so (laughs) a lot of them go like can we go plant-based i was like let me guess you watch game like, yeah i'd love to try it it's like no no we can't sorry not happening for you yeah. Yeah. But. That's, that's people. Um, is there, you've got more rap for aggressions for me. I do. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, okay. So <laughs> this is an interesting, I'm just going to ask it, but I, I actually reached out to this. I'm going to reach out to this person. Sorry. Um, best foods to bring back periods. And as far as I know, this person is not an endurance athlete, so it's not foods. It's probably okay. energy, right?
1: Ramp up your energy, ramp up your carbohydrate intake. Carbohydrate intake is a big, big driver in coming out of even like relative energy deficiency syndrome. The focus on the carb sources. Do some CBT, do some cognitive behavioral therapy, get a grip on your stress levels. And please talk to a doctor. Stop consulting Instagram for medical advice. Um, there's, there's a few strands to coming back out of it. As I said already, nutrition isn't always the answer. In a lot of cases, it does help. But if it's stress source or origin based, then me telling the person what to eat, it's, you know, is completely irrelevant. Yeah. I'm not irrelevant, but I'm not going to fix it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, great. Okay. So, uh, just a straight up question while PMSing does metabolism slow or is it down regulated?
1: Nope. Your cravings are just higher. I think what, what you might be mistaking is comfort eating, and that being the drive of weight gain as opposed to an acute transient metabolic alteration. I think that's what's happening there. So no would be my answer.
0: Yeah, especially if uh, the idea that if you're basing the metabolic slowdown on weight gain, because as you said, that can just be water retention. You know, that can be a cycle <laughs> of water retention. And as you said, yeah comfort eating and gaining weight but yeah so that's great to that's great to hear that there's no founded evidence on that
1: a good rule of thumb if the weight gain happened quickly it wasn't your metabolism it was fluid retention that's a good if one. it's overnight or that's it's not that's not your metabolism
0: and jesus that's so important for not basing your routines off daily weigh-ins because they can be it can be subject yeah. to insane fluctuations especially during your period 100 yeah, 100%. yeah. Uh, okay so then the last one is anything you can eat or drink to reduce the water weight or i guess this is the water retention in the week before the period
1: um maybe not specific there'd be things you could avoid that would make it less likely so if your diet is high in sodium which this person is speaking in english so they're from a western country i can probably assume an the average irish person gets twice as much sodium before they add salt to their diet so high sodium will cause a little bit of water retention as well low sodium but that's probably not a problem so things like soy sauces nor soups pre like them the mcdonald's curry um those, those are big salt defenders, crisp, salted peanuts, actually adding salt to your food. Try not doing that as much and see if it helps. May also make sure your potassium levels are high enough. Um, sodium and potassium kind of work opposite to each other, kind of like a bicep and a tricep. Where can you get potassium? Baked potatoes are actually a class source, seconded by dried apricots. Third um, is avocado and fourth is banana. So bananas actually aren't a super potassium source.
0: Yeah. So yeah. there you go. Nice one, nice one. So that is all for me. Um, I don't know if you listen to Danny Lennon. I'm not going to copy what he does, but do you have any overarching recommendation on this topic?
1: <laughs> um, not necessarily, but maybe do the herb fuel course if it's something you're interested in.
0: Oh yes. Yeah.
1: yeah. As as a topic, it's a fairly big arch, like you know there's there's not one sentence I could say that would um, uh, account for everything to bear in mind. I suppose one one thing I might like to to put out there is that um, you need to fuel yourself. Maybe pe- we need to stop looking as a culture in terms of we need to earn our food. We need to stop looking what we look like. We need to stop using that as social currency validation. And for the athletes out there listening there 's no fucking set images to what an athlete looks like there 's no guidelines as to how an athlete should behave, even when no one is looking and to my knowledge, there's no studies out there on moderate junk food consumption and being a successful athlete they 're not correlated. so I find lots of people make these black and white rules because of from what they think and what they 've been told they need to do, mm. and in fact, diet is yeah, diet's a grey area. You just need a bit of help navigating this. That's that's what I think anyway. Um, Good, yeah, stuff.
0: So. Good stuff. Good uh, stuff. And then, so just tell everyone where they can find you on your platforms. Yeah, and obviously, her fuel, which I strongly recommend, and anything else. Yeah,
1: thank you. Uh, so the pla the best place to find me is at Elynnch on Instagram. So E L Y N C H F I T N U T. I have a link tree there, and all the other relevant things are there. I'm not mad on Facebook. I don't like Twitter, so I'm actually not on that either. Um, to be honest, I wouldn't have a phone if I didn't have to. So I, I kept it to one, one platform. Find me on Instagram. I have no unanswered messages. I do answer everybody as best as I can um, and as quick as I can. So if you if you reach out, you will get a reply.
0: Nice one. Nice one. Yeah. That is all for me, Evan. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I think, I think, uh, and yeah, just, reach out to yourself if there are any more questions about that. And so thank you so much for coming on. That was a blast. My pleasure. And uh, hopefully there'll be more to come. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to episode number eight. As I promised, Evan had a wealth of information and hopefully some useful tips that you guys can carry with you and share with others. Okay, so three quick things. First one is, as payment for the podcast, just please tell people. So this is an idea that Shane Finn has on his podcast. No money, just tell a friend. That would be fantastic. And as Shane says, it will have huge impacts. So never underestimate the impact that, you know, just telling one person. If everyone told one person, it would just double the listeners, you know. Next thing is a weight loss program that is being launched. October 1st the start date is actually October 5th but sign up start mid-September and this is a massive program you're going to get everything that I provide in my one-to-one coaching for just a fraction of the price and the only thing that you're getting differently is that you're going to enlist as a group you're not going to you don't have to take part as a group there's going to be a Facebook uh, forum where it's like an exclusive Facebook group where you'll be added in but you do not have to take part in that And so you can go through the challenge just on your own, which is perfectly okay. You get access to an app with habit-based coaching. I'm a big proponent of habit-based coaching. So rather than providing you all these calories and grams and, you know, supplements, I'm going to use daily habits and you'll get these all through the app. They pop up on your home screen and you'll obviously get a tailored nutritional program. You'll have direct access to me in a chat room in the app where you can just pop a question to me and I'll have an answer to you within a few hours. And yeah, um, a range of other helpful uh, resources. So if you're interested, pop me a message or an email. I'll tell you more information. But the signups will start mid-September, so in about 10, 10 days to two weeks. And then lastly, myself and Evan have actually come together and we're launching this platform called Research Bytes where we'll provide one page, very, very easy to read, easy to understand summaries of topical and informative research studies and reviews. So basically, as a nutritionist or someone who's worked in the world of academia, we don't advise people, the general population to go and read their own research because you won't understand Whether a research study has been done properly, and that's just because you have a different career, you haven't spent years and years in this area. So, instead of that, instead of us directing you towards research yourself, or instead of us directing you towards Buzzfeed articles on Facebook, we say instead, why don't we provide very easy to read um, summaries? Okay, so that's going to be a platform we're launching in the future. So keep an eye out for that. If you have any ideas or suggestions, we're just in the planning stages, and any feedback would be great, so just reach out to me if you think this would be something that you'd be interested in. It would be a very, very low fee because you're, you're just reading the articles, so it's just something for us to, to work on, improve our ability to communicate, and to provide value for people. So watch this space. Anyway, thank you so much. Have a fantastic week, and thanks.